There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Squiggly Career Podcast for Amazing If. I'm Sarah, one of the founders of Amazing If and I'm joined by my fellow co-founder Helen. Hello everybody. Hi and I know many of you would have listened before but for any new listeners out there, this podcast is all about helping you to develop the skills you need to be successful in a squiggly career. And this week, we're talking about teams, what makes a brilliant team, why a team fails, what you can do to be part of and to build a brilliant team. And I will warn you now, I've realised as I started to think about this, this could get very sporty very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I started to get really excited about, usually it's you with all the kind of cheesy quotes, but oh my God, when you get into team and sports, there is a world of interesting quotes and like stuff out there. So I've got a couple that I've, I've got to share just, I think, to get out of my system. Otherwise, I'm well, just going to interrupt you. If anyone is listening and is as unsporty as I am, please be aware that I will provide the counter to <laughs> Sarah's sporting references for this podcast episode. <laughs> Plus, it's really topical. We're being topical. Germany are out the World Cup. Hopefully that's by now. So Actually, everyone, everyone who listens to this, it will have been like enough time afterwards. I was like, oh no, maybe I've just done a massive spoiler, but everyone will know that. So you know, fine. when you just said it's topical, I was like, is it? Why? <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and in that question is the uh, is the root of our, our differences on yes. sportingness. <laughs> so if you are into your sport, there is an amazing documentary series called All or Nothing. Definitely watch it. It's on Netflix. And they follow teams for a season just to get into the dynamics of how a sports team works. They've done like the New Zealand rugby team and they do quite a lot of American football teams. And there was this quote on the wall of an American football team, massive kind of premise that they have where they go for training. And it says, um, build the team you want to coach. And I was like, I had to get Tom to pause the program because I was like, I've got to write that down. Oh my God, I absolutely loved it. Um, so that was that's my first favourite one. I've only got one more, and then we can move on. Um, <laughs> Michael Jordan, basketball legend. I should have tested you then. I should have known. See, you'd have known that Michael Jordan was a basketball player, wouldn't you? Yeah, really tall guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> tall and basketball, brilliant. Uh, and he said, and I think this is actually really pertinent. Talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Oh, so good. <laughs> So I get really excited. I get and I do you know what is really interesting I was thinking about teams because I'm I'm really fascinated by team dynamics because I actually also love being part of a team so even though I'm definitely an introvert I get a lot of my energy and definitely recoup through spending time by myself and time by myself is really critical to me to kind of help me reboot when I've kind of been most successful and actually often at my happiest, it's always been within teams, even if that's just a team of two, because I think there's something about being successful together that is so much more powerful than being successful by yourself. Um, Oh, Sarah, it's heartwarming. (laughs) (laughs) Even yesterday, I was doing a training course yesterday uh, and usually Helen and I do our training together, but I was doing one by myself and I actually, I was like, I really missed you. I missed, missed our team. Dream, the dream uh, team weren't, weren't together. Our squiggly team. We will, we yeah. will re- reconvene together soon. <laughs> so today, before I get lost in a world of team sports, uh, which I will come back to actually later in the podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of our best and worst team experiences. Inevitably, the worst ones will be the ones that people will be more interested in, I'm sure. Um, what we learned, share some of our top tips 
and as ever finish with some resources that might be helpful and actually today there are some incredibly useful resources um, on teams effective teams uh, that can help you learn more if, if it's something you really want to uh, kind of get into in more detail so before we dive in we always try to think about topics that are relevant for squiggly careers Helen, how do you think teams and teamwork is changing as the world that we all work in is becoming so much more squiggly? So I was reflecting on this when you kind of we ask each other questions before we start recording, just to reassure you that we uh, we we do some prep for these sessions. And I was reflecting on the question about how how teams are changing, and I think teamwork has always been important. Like if I think about like industrialization and lots of people kind of working in factories and the Henry Ford kind of things to go back to that. A lot of how teams work then was about um, productivity and efficiently mm-hmm. and efficiency and output rate. And actually I still think those things are really important now. We've made them a bit more sexy when we talk about productivity and apps, but they're still um, they're still kind of important outputs of effective teams now, productivity and efficiency. But I think what's changed is the way teams work together. So, um, you know, if you go, you know, go back, you don't even have to go back that far. Teams were often together physically in the same space. And mm-hmm. what's changed now is that more often teams are not in the same place. They're either in different countries or maybe they're working remotely. I think teams also form um, in a more agile way. So it's not necessarily the same group of people who keep coming together. You can have different models of um, there's, oh, what's the shoe company? Zappos. And yes. they have almost like circles where they will bring people together um, for projects and it's like agile working and things like that. So I think this, the structure of teams, where teams exist, how they're structured, how long they stay together, it's much more fluid um, and, and technology is a big enabler of that. And that's really sort of uh, that's kind of what's happening with squiggly careers squiggly careers have got all that change technology is a big part of um, the fluidity of people moving around their careers and that's what's reflected in teams so all that stuff that makes teams good and valuable still important but how you achieve it now I think is very different and therefore the skills that you need to make a really strong team are slightly different because it's not about just talking to the person next to you you suddenly Mm. have to be able to think how does a great leadership team work or how does a project team work when we might have not known each other very well because maybe we've just come together for this initiative or maybe we're all in different places and we just communicate through virtual means yeah I think that that to me is a really important point is that now you can't rely on almost the physical environment and uh, the standardization of work to make sure that teams work effectively. I think previously there would have just been some of the kind of constructs of how we all worked in terms of we turned up to the same place, we sat next to the same people who were probably the people we worked with every day or however you were working. And that just meant that you had to kind of, you were almost like forced to work in a team depending on how good it was. Whereas now just that flexibility means that you've actually got to really think about it. I think be more conscious about teamwork and dedicate probably more time and thought to it because it's not just going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, should we start off by thinking about the best teams that we've both yes. been part of? So, what, what was your what was your number one team? Number one team. I feel really bad picking out my number one team because I'm thinking, yeah. oh, what are some of my <laughs> and team you were members like, you said that. So you said I, that, I you were like, she's not going to like that. I'm not going to like that. One of the number one teams that I've worked <laughs> for. Uh, so, I'm going to go back to when I used to work for Eon. And uh, when I worked for Eon, I was an innovation venture manager and I reported into a really visionary leader um, called Phil Gilbert at Eon. And we were pulling together a team. I know, you know, I love Phil. And uh, we were pulling together a team from from the ground up, basically. Phil had been given a remit to build an innovation team and we had to build it from scratch. And to begin with, there were only three or four of us on the leadership team defining what the business, it was called Ignite, what that business was going to achieve. And it meant that we got to recruit new people internally and outside of Eon to form a team. And I just remember that it was, I mean, there were some challenges in that team. We were trying to do stuff at pace and it was really hard and we're trying to kind of go against the grain with the business. But I think one of the things that really struck me that Phil led in the formation of that team was he, actually, Sarah, he used like a football analogy, but it was probably even more than an analogy. He, he, yeah, big football fan. I think Manchester United, I think. Uh, and anyway, he, he drew up a football team. I don't even know how many people are in a football team, but he drew it up. And the idea was we Eleven. had lots, <laughs> thanks for that, stored in the brain for a minute. Uh, we had lots of people that were applying these roles. And what Phil made us do was look at like complementary skills and behaviours. So rather than just thinking about that's an individual star, that's an individual star and offering a job to all of them and realizing that you've just got a team of like 30 individual stars he forced a process where we looked at the football team 
um, and said, okay, well, who, who's got the behaviours that would maybe be in this type of role? Who's got the behaviours that would be maybe more supportive or collaborative? And it just, it, it meant that we got amazing talent, but we really thought about the structure of the team. Now, I know that not everybody is in the luxury of being able to build a team. Like, that's the only time in my career I've actually been able to do that, build that team completely from scratch yeah. of a size. But what it's sort of, what stuck with me was thinking about the people in the team their skills and their behaviours and how they complement each other. And it definitely it definitely taught me that. It'll never be perfect because people are people and they come to work with their emotions and their experiences and however much you think about all the logic of building a great team, people are still people. But I do think that went a long way to increasing the ability of the team to collaborate and connect and not just have people who are just individual stars. I always think what you're ultimately trying to do with any team is make sure that the whole is bigger than some of the parts. Mm. So it's not about back to your kind of fo- your your football analogy, which is a sentence <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. The irony of it. You, yeah, you know you know nothing about any sport, but um, the it's not always the teams with the superstars that always perform the best. And um, we've recently done something actually in my current role, where as a leadership team we did something called Strength Scope. Where um, so this is not a team that you know that our founders who I kind of work for now have been able to build you know simultaneously from scratch in the way that you've just described because as you said that that actually it, it very rarely happens unless you're creating a business or you may be creating a new team. But what that allowed us to do, even though you know it's more kind of retrospective, is reflect on the contribution that we all make to a team in a very sort of explicit and transparent way to then work out. Oh, okay, well actually maybe some of those things you don't get to see in someone every day or maybe you don't know people that well. So you suddenly realise people have got two or three strengths maybe that you hadn't realised before. And then you can start thinking about how do we leverage these things together? How do we make sure that we're kind of a collective rather than just going, oh, from a distance, someone's really great at this thing. It's actually, oh, no, well, together, this is where we would be particularly strong. And Mm -hmm. we looked for like commonalities. So where do we have, where do quite a few people have sort of the same sort of strengths? And then actually who within the room doesn't have that commonalities because actually those people are particularly powerful because they bring a different point of view and a different perspective. I think it was well, but on that point, it was um, it was it's having Phil as the leader who who cared about it so much. I mean, it was all of our job. He got us all yeah. into it to really debate it. But he really, really cared, and then that uh, about the structure of the team and who we're bringing into it, and that sort of set the tone for what was going to be important about this team. So I think for me, the best yeah, teams that I've worked for have got leaders who really care about the formation of the team, the dynamics of the team, and not just the work that's got to be done by that team. Yeah, I suppose it's both how you do your work as well as what you do mm-hmm. and people underst- understanding that 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 makes a really big difference if I think about all the best leaders I've worked for they understand and prioritize the importance of any team whether it's a leadership team or a working team spending time together and mm. and not making excuses for not doing that because of uh, you know other work commitments or things you know there's always something you could be doing you know and everybody has that kind of long to-do list but it's almost there it becomes a necessary part of your job and what you do rather than something that gonna gets added on every six months because people think we should do it yeah what about uh, you so, then? Well, my example's a bit different. Obviously, I've gone with the sports one. Because, oh, no, no like, more sport. <laughs> this is going to be one of my few examples, few few podcasts where I'm ever going to get to talk about sport. So um, I had to go really far back as well to, to come up with one. So I'm going to talk about the time when our under-18 netball team at school <laughs> won the county championship. Is it because you just want to talk about winning a county championship? <laughs> yeah, but so let, let me tell you more because I, okay. I suspect you're fascinated. So... Firstly, we obviously, obviously outperformed all of our peers, lots of whom, lots of the other schools would have definitely had better resources than us. You know, we didn't have a good sports hall. We hadn't got loads of equipment. We were just a sort of very standard school. But we all, we were all collectively really committed to our kind of shared vision. Oh, it's know, the underdog shared... story. It feels like yeah, a film. I feel like exactly. a, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I remember. So I was pretty committed to, um, at the time, obviously wanting to go to university, but apparently not quite as committed as I was to winning the under-18 netball team, netball uh, championship, because I remember going to look at a university with a friend who was also in the same netball team, and we left partway through to make sure that we could get back in time for, like, playing some of these games, like, in preparation. (laughs) So I prioritised netball over, like, the rest of my 
education essentially at that time but that felt like felt like the right call and what's really interesting when I was reflecting on this ready for today thinking about okay so why was that team so good I don't think it was because we had loads and loads of superstars I think it's because we were we were the ultimate team as in we had all of the right people in the right places we were collectively very committed to it so you know we were training we probably did train more than the other teams you know we we choose to proactively practice and do more training there was never any kind of blaming of people who made mistakes mm-hmm. which actually is a really big deal because uh, in netball you've got seven players if somebody dropped the ball or made a mistake it's it's very it can feel quite you know quite obvious that it's you that's not scored that goal or you've 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 dropped the ball and the other team have got it but actually it was always well no you kind of win together lose together type mentality mm-hmm. even talking about it is making me really happy <laughs> uh and do you know what is also fascinating and we talked about kind of the impact a leader can have i actually can't remember our coach that's so, very interesting and i can't poor really coach remember, who coached you to success <laughs> um, and i can't remember that much about her I remember her being female, but that, that's kind of about it. And I think from memory, she perhaps wasn't like that into netball, you know, like PE teachers have to do loads of different sports. But we almost took the ownership for what it was we wanted to do and what we wanted to achieve and didn't rely on, I guess, that person to do the hard work for us. And we sort of accepted that as a team, we needed to work together to do what we wanted to do, which sounds like incredibly sort of mature, but I think we were all actually just incredibly competitive. Um, and, and yeah, really. And you know, that whole thing of like, you really hate the other schools. I don't even know why now. You're like, oh, I hate that school. So, okay. Um, but so, what was his what, what did what did you, you what did you, Yeah, what did you learn from all of that, Sarah? I feel well, like we're going down a, 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 a age 18 school competing. Firstly, winning is awesome. So that's the first thing I learned. <laughs> but then we were like crashed out at the next level really quickly. So just in case anyone's thinking you went on to be superstars, we absolutely didn't. I, I think what I did learn, and actually from listening to kind of your story, your, your probably much more relevant person's story about <laughs> actually being at work and me reminiscing about winning a county championship. It's fine. Is three things. One you've got to have a shared vision as a team. You've all got to know why you're doing what you're doing and how will you know if you've been successful? Because if you think, well, we know if we'll be successful if we achieve these sales or this amount of new clients or this increase in customer satisfaction, if you think one of those things is really important and actually there are other people in the team who are prioritising something completely different, it doesn't matter how brilliant you all are or how well you know each other, you're never going to get to the same kind of output because you're not all going in the same direction so that shared vision of why you're all there what you're there to do and regularly reflecting on you know how how do you know if you've you've been successful sometimes it's very tangible it's very black and white playing mm-hmm. netball you either win or you lose but you know in somewhere like an eon you could probably understand as you were going you know are we making progress versus our objectives are we getting really good feedback from the organization in terms of the impact of our team there are lots of evidence points that you can look to to work out are you achieving that shared vision so that'd be number one number two which I did actually just kind of mention with the example is it's not the job of the leader or certainly not just the job of the leader to create and build a brilliant team everybody has to take accountability for being part of that process and and to behave in the way that you agree in terms of your kind of ways of working and I do I sometimes have seen this with teams where people just sort of look to the person leading that team and expect them to do almost like all of the hard work in terms of accountability and shaping that team. You know, if you, if you're part of a team and you're listening to this and thinking, well, we could do, yeah, this part of our team isn't working very well. Often, you know, there's nothing stopping you from taking some accountability for doing something about that, even if it's in a kind of really small way. Yeah, I I really agree with that. I often feel the weight of expectation to do that for the team, both upwards and sort of downwards for my team and I definitely don't have all the answers or all of the time to do that and I think it'd be quite empowering for the individuals and also um, respected by the manager providing your, the managers in the right mindset I think to, to do that for them and say these are the ideas this is what we think is important I think that's such a, a, a positive uh, mindset for an individual to have that they can they can do that work yeah and our last um, kind of I guess almost reflection that we both had on our kind of best teams is that when you're part of a brilliant team you feel like you're being yourself. So you feel sort of safe to disagree, to challenge, to express your point of view, because that's how, um, I guess, teams have diversity of ideas, of thought. And you know that ultimately you're you're all there to try and do the same thing. But and, and everything that you're doing and all the challenge that you have 
is all in pursuit of that thing. And if that's done in the right way and you've agreed how you're going to kind of work together, then that's really positive because by having a number of different perspectives, everyone kind of bringing themselves, no one's having to spend time or energy on doing on kind of managing themselves or thinking, well, if I say this thing, what's the impact is that going to have on people's perception of me? Or, you know, does that mean that people won't like me in the same way? So there's, there's not, you know, you don't have the same kind of level of almost, I guess, having to bring a persona to mm. a team or to work versus going, yeah, I'm just bringing my authentic, brilliant self because we're all just here just trying to do the best thing. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I learned something else as well. I did some research, Sarah. Would you believe? Very impressive. I know. I did some research. Um, I normally you basically research. said that because you wanted me to say, like, well done. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah I, I, I like a little bit of praise every now and yeah. again. Hard, <laughs> hard to come by. Uh, no, the article that I found um, was really, really interesting. So I think you and I both, you know, we're really passionate about how teams are formed. Um, I am a little bit of a geek sometimes. And I found a really good article on Harvard Business Review called The New Science of Building Great Teams. Um, so it unsurprisingly takes a scientific approach to what makes teams work and they basically um their researchers put these i couldn't quite know what they would have looked like but they put like devices on on people in teams that um then monitored their interactions with other people so that they could collect devices yeah like i don't know i don't quite the devices but they put like some trackers on people basically in teams robots are going to start running the teams (laughs) they were it was less of a robot i think it was more of a monitoring thing like and it, it looked at how many times people interacted and i don't quite know there was no picture of said device but it got them lots of data and what they realized from the data was that the most important predictor of team success was their patterns of communication. And it was as significant as all of the other factors of, of kind of effective teams combined. So those other factors were individual intelligence of people in a team, um, the skill of individuals in the team, the personalities and the substance of discussion Actually, the patterns of communication was more important than any of that stuff combined as a predictor of team success. I thought it was really interesting. And then, so what when would they... a um, pattern of communication be? So they talked about um, the number and nature of interactions. So basically, teams that don't talk to each other have right. fewer have fewer interactions, and they have uh, weaker patterns of communication. And they talked about a test that they did where they in a call center environment because like, I think it's quite measurable. They synced up all of the lunchtime. So they took a team. They went kind of, I guess, counter to what would seem logical to do. They took the entire team offline to have a break together. Whereas what had been doing, what kind of the manager had been doing was almost like... Um, Rotating. Or... Yeah, rotating so that the team was not down at the same time. But they took the entire team offline together for like a 10, 15, 20 minute break, whatever it was. And so that would encourage interaction and, and communication, increase the patterns of communication between the individuals and the team. 
And what happened was, I think they measured like average call handling time that dropped. Basically, all the metrics for success in that call center went up, despite the fact that the team had to kind of down tools all at the same time. That's and interesting. It's really interesting. They tried it in different settings, and they realised that yeah, this patterns of communication thing, how teams interact, was was the most important predictor of success. They did some research in the article on um, what's more effective between face-to-face communication um, video conferences all that yeah, kind of stuff yeah I was going to ask about that actually yeah um, face-to-face was the most effective and then they said followed by video conference but video conference starts to fall apart where over, when you go past a certain number of people being on the call yeah but what um, to a couple of things that just really stuck with me on the on the best teams from based on this research, they they summarise it into three things, which all begin with E. You know how I love like models that all have like <laughs> models that are like all in threes that begin with the same letter. Or, like, That's why these people do these, you know, so they can like sell you their books <laughs> and that kind of sold. Thing. I'm sold. It's got but a the, the, the three things in summary. So energy. So the best teams have energy, and that is measured by the number and nature of interactions. So basically the team interact more together and it's more often face-to-face than not. It's quite interesting in, in kind of remote work. Yeah. We'll come back on that second. The second is engagement. The aim is for equal, equal levels of conversation. So participation in the conversation, but also equal levels of listening. So yeah. I think that's quite interesting. If you've got, they talked about in teams, maybe you've got a couple of pockets where there's like really high engagement, but other people don't get to talk as much. They're like thinking about how you trying to uh, get a level playing field for engagement. And the last thing was exploration, which I hadn't really thought of and this was that they said that high performing teams seek outside perspectives so they connect with other teams and they bring that perspective back into the original team Uh, and it yeah really interesting yeah curiosity and it drives innovation and new perspectives within the original team like the host team um so i just thought so it's such a good article i learned a lot from reading i'll read it again and there's little exercises and it shows you how they measured the teams um we'll put as we when we share the links we'll include that one in there but that was some of their thoughts energy engagement and exploration of what makes a great team on that point around equal listening, I once did an exercise, which I, I'm guessing you must have done as well, because we did the same development program, where an external observer comes in and watches you as a group do an exercise, and you don't yes. really know why they're watching. And to be honest, after two minutes of reading the brief that you're working through, you've forgotten they're there anyway. Even though there's somebody in the room, they're sort of sitting very kind of unobtrusively to the side, and they just sort of say, off you go, have, have a go at doing this exercise. And they, what they're actually looking for is uh, your patterns of communication as a team and they mark down by kind of almost like different colours the type of communicator you are and then how that works within a team and almost uh, particularly the one I I always remember is how many times you interrupt somebody Mm. Um, and I bet you were trying really hard there not to interrupt me (laughs) and uh, (laughs) often it's um, it's like sometimes you interrupt because of enthusiasm or in support of people but they talk about just how uh, kind of the negative impact that can have because you've interrupted somebody's like flow of thought and you know it, you can't no one's perfect it's really it's really hard not to do that some of the time but actually I was in a meeting the other day where I just watched a number of people just do that so no one ever quite finished a sentence and it was all because of excitement and you know came from lots of good reasons but then you start to get worried like nobody's actually quite getting to fully articulate what it is that they were they were trying to talk about and I was part of a team where we did that together and then it was really funny because then as a leadership team, we were all so aware of it. Like, no, <laughs> everyone would like have, there'd always be like this pause after you, someone would finish sentence and everyone would be like, are we done? Are we, are we ready? And then, <laughs> so it took us a bit of practice, but it was actually, it was really useful, particularly, I think, for the more introverted people, because actually it gives them more time and space to contribute. It encourages that equality of contribution. And actually, if you're kind of more extroverted, you're kind of encouraged to spend a bit more time sort of listening and reflecting. So I think it just helps with the dynamics of a team. I remember the exercise and I did you do remember, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember the marks. I, I did interrupt people, as probably people listening to this podcast get that. And the reason that I was always interrupting people, because I think there were types of interruptions that were um, uh, noted, was because I had a need to add value. Um, so I would be like, oh, yeah, and this. Oh, and have you read this? And have you tried this? Yeah. Um, because like that's how I sort of 
uh, I don't know it's how, a lot of the time how I contribute but it did totally make me realize that I, I sort of think oh that's a positive thing because I'm adding value to somebody but actually if it's distracting them from their train of thought or I'm preempting I've assumed what they're about to say is not it's not that useful so yeah it's, it's an interesting exercise I think you can probably replicate it for yourself in a team by um, particularly if you are one of the uh, more noisy uh, people in the team by taking more of an observe kind of an observer role and just mm. looking at what the dynamic is where's the share of voice what's that level of interruption is it um, what's the kind of tone of the conversation is it aggressive is it collaborative and finding a way to play that back to people I think that would be a really powerful thing to do for a team to be a bit of a mirror to its behaviours definitely should we move on to worst teams the bad stuff dun 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 (laughs) (laughs) because I was thinking about this and I was like actually it's quite hard because I think most teams go through ebbs and flows you know sometimes they're better than others Uh, team dynamics change quite a lot but I did try to think about right we always try to be kind of very honest when when have I had a really bad team experience and am I going first or yeah you go first first? yeah you go first and I'll so see how my, honest you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so my worst team experience was actually when I first started my MBA at Warwick University. The way I did my MBA was you went for a week at a time and you were given an assignment to actually do during that week as well as all your lectures and various things. So you were put in a team from day one. So this is on a Monday. And then by the Friday, you had to have answered a question of some description come to a conclusion and it had to then be presented to everybody on the Friday and you got a mark which contributed so it was a group mark but it contributed to your individual mark so it was a you know quite emotive quite stressful situation and that first week so that first module was and I was in that team was absolutely horrendous so so bad that I genuinely nearly didn't go back do you know what? I really wasn't ready for it. I remember <laughs> it the phone so... call. I remember you called me and you were did upset. Did I? I remember... Yeah, yeah, you were upset. Yeah, I actually, you do me. you know what? I think I actually did get genuinely really upset because I think I was there like full of, you know, enthusiasm and really excited to be there. And the team dynamics were really tough. So when I stop now and think about it, nobody knew each other. So you're suddenly with this eight or nine different people where, and there's no time to get to know anyone you're just you literally introduce yourself and then you're straight in with a task that is very time pressured quite stressful on a topic you usually you don't know very much about everyone is trying to prove themselves because it's week one and there is a bit of and almost in hindsight now I'm like I'm not sure what anyone was trying to necessarily prove because Mm. you know you just you're there to do your MBA you're already doing the MBA but I guess there's probably something about the nature of the people who choose to do those things it's probably quite a competitive environment um or people maybe feel like they want to sort of demonstrate that they should be there and it felt just incredibly you know there was kind of quite a lot of disagreement there's quite a lot of conflict there was no one leader so you know within eight or nine people you no one was automatically obviously in charge but then almost everyone tried to simultaneously be in charge and it was it was awful I just oh I for something I was looking forward to so much I think that's probably why it threw me because then I just thought that's, and it was a it was very much a microcosm of a one week experience, and actually we as a team we definitely progressed and got better. But I think the the real thing for me there was that what would have been brilliant and what we should have done, and it would have made a massive difference for that first week if we'd have taken an hour at the very start of you know when we started to have time together to just get to know each other a little bit more and talk about how we were going to approach the week, how we were going to work together, how we were going to think about the question that we had to answer, that would have been worth its weight in gold. Because actually what we did was we went straight to the what. Yeah. Like, what do we need to do? Let's divide up the task. Let's all go off and do it. And everyone did different stuff. And some people did nothing. And some people just sat on the computer by themselves. And no one quite knew what they were doing. So it was just, it, it was a real disaster I would have hated. You know, like if there'd been hidden cameras in that room. I don't think, <laughs> I don't, I just don't think I could have watched it back oh I'm uh, laughing but I do remember you upset which I feel mean now I've lost because it's not it doesn't feel great that's the point isn't it bad teams yeah. not great for the business not great for the individuals like no nobody wins out of a bad team no and I think that's the um so that was the thing about there was no in hindsight what would I've done differently yeah, to even have suggested to have maybe spent a, a, a small bit a portion of time actually getting to know each other I think would have been really valuable and I think back to our squiggly careers point more and more people I think will spend time working in project teams where this is way more likely to be a reality you may be suddenly working in a cross-functional team or in a remote team where you've got you know six people together you've you've got to deliver something within whatever period of time now I think I'd always be like 
just before we dive in, let's just stop because it, it will be worth it. And also knowing, you know, there's that, um, how does it go with the that team dynamic things where it's like form, storm, norm, norm perform. perform, isn't it? Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, that's worth looking up if people are interested in, I guess, the behaviours of every team. So forming is obviously when you're just together. Storming is like obviously the tough period where people are like trying to all find their way. Then you get into um, the kind of what are the norms and then you really perform. If you've got to do that very quickly, I think you have to work out like tools and techniques to start to get your team be, you know, all working collaboratively in a very short space of time. And I think we sort of just ignored that whole process and went straight into, okay, well, performing. And I think you can't, you almost can't miss those first three things. And I think I experienced what happens when you just try to get to perform. It reminds me when I used to work for Capital One quite a long time ago. I was I was I had it was like a marketing project manager um, whilst I was there. And at the start of every project, I mean, I think this is actually a phase of the Prince to methodology for project management but every project would start with a project charter where right. you would get your stakeholders in the room and you would talk about how do we want to run this project as as a team because you the team would have been pulled together for that initiative it might be launching a new credit card or you know a change to a business thing and you would say okay well we want to we want to meet weekly we want to have collaboration right. we want to have clear leadership we want to only have you know four people in a meeting so it's more productive whatever the the, the rules of engagement if you like were for the team just that notion i mean a project charter feels a bit formal but it's that thinking of every time you bring a team together like what let's let's talk as a team about how we want the team to operate but you know i've done those like mba situations sarah it, it is hard when everyone's like first <laughs> if that's the first time the group's been together i don't even know if you'd said that whether everyone had been like oh she's that one is she yeah <laughs> you, probably but I, think, I think that's okay though because i think i am that one now anyway, <laughs> I just, i'm just more comfortable that that is that i am that, that one. is who you are <laughs> um, tell, mine, then. tell me about your worst team yeah do you know what? i'm not gonna name the name uh-huh. of the company because it is a company and i gotta want to be fair um but I'll you know, talk about the situation. So I went in to join a leadership team in a company that I have worked for uh, and it really <laughs> didn't work. And it wasn't because of the individuals. The individuals actually all really, really lovely people. But the team just was really dysfunctional. And again, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't any aggression. It just didn't sit together. So we'd have these leadership meetings, which would basically involve everybody updating each other about their area and then having lunch and just talking about our lives. But the team never really got above that. It was like a team that updated each other and shared information rather than tried to improve something or had a shared outcome. And how that felt was it just felt like a bit of wasted time to be honest I felt like yeah. I was in this team environment having all day leadership meetings and for no point because I could just read an email that had that update in it and I could talk to you by your desk and I, it just didn't it didn't connect and I think it was because we were putting to a team because of an organizational structure where they just lumped these functions together but actually the functions were quite disconnected and could operate independently and I tried you know I, I tried to say like how can we improve these things together? But it, <laughs> so you were that one, you did it. I was that one as well. Um, and because I care about teamwork and I actually really enjoy it when it works, but it didn't. It just it just felt like it was a pointless exercise. You know, we even had some external facilitators come in to try and do it, but it just felt like you were having a conversation on the day that never stuck, not because people didn't care, but because the all of the, all of the functions of this particular team could operate very independently from each other. And so we would only get together for these leadership meetings and it just felt a little bit pointless. And so that just to me, there's something, there's a learning in that, that just because it's called a team on a structure, if it's all been put together on an org chart, that isn't necessarily enough to make it a powerful team. I think a powerful team has to be connected by a shared purpose or agenda or outcome that the, that collection of people are moving towards. Otherwise, it is just a collection of people that don't need to spend a day with each other doing team building. Yeah, and I wonder if that's actually increasingly almost like the bravery that leaders and organisations need to have is that just because, like it sounds like you were kind of put together as a leadership team because, you know, you're all at a similar level, so it's like, okay, we should get together. But it's that thing of like, well, we should get together. To what end? Like, yeah. you, sh- you should only get together if then there's going to be some value that you're going to add back to the organisation or back to your teams. And almost then having the confidence that if that's not happening actually, then that's okay, because you might have other teams, you might be better spending time with the people who are part of your team, or with another function. It doesn't Absolutely, always have to function. work in yeah. Yeah, that hierarchical way. 
I think, yeah, there's that, that agility of how teams come together. You know, the example from the Harvard Business Review thing about the, the best teams have got that exploration thing. Oh, that yeah. would be a team connecting with another one rather than maybe the one it sits within a structure. And I'll be, by and large, I have been in leadership meetings where it does make sense for the functions to be together. But it is just that example where it just seemed to be a bit thrown together. And I was like, well, this is just a collection of sub teams and we don't connect. And it just, it wasn't very motivating. I felt like it was a bit of a waste of time. And I felt like we were trying to force, force an agenda. And my learning was definitely that point around shared purpose and how important that is. Yeah. So the three things then we've learned from the teams that have not been quite so good, rather than like the number one worst team. uh, Number one, the point about you need to have agreed shared norms and behaviours, which essentially in kind of more straightforward language is ways of working. And often you can feel like maybe if you're part of the team, that that's not your role to do that, but maybe that's the role of the leader. But I do think there are some questions that anyone could ask that start with, how do we want to? So that how do we want to is a really nice way to include people in developing ways of working for a team. So that could be, how do we want to approach meetings? How do we want to make decisions together? How are we going to avoid duplication? So you're essentially in your how do we want to, you're asking we, you're doing a collective, you're not assuming the answer. But in the second part of the statement, you are acknowledging that there is probably something we need to talk about that's not right. And I think it's a smart and kind of emotionally intelligent way of involving people in getting to some ways of working or shared norms. Um, It's something that I use all the time. If I sort of start to spot a bit of a gap or that we're getting duplication, rather than just going, getting frustrated, which I think is really easy to do, or thinking, well, that person's not doing the right thing, or maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Just asking that, how do you want to question is really powerful. So that was number one. Number two, um, I think look for, if you're part of a team and it's maybe quite a big team, look for allies in that team. And collective role modeling, I think can be really powerful. I think when you're part of a team and you see a couple of people acting or behaving in a certain way who are maybe being collaborative, who are, you know, maybe being those people trying to work out what the ways of working are, it does start to hold other people to account. You know, if you notice yourself interrupting somebody, apologising for that and saying, oh, sorry, I interrupted you there, keep going. Or if you notice that someone hasn't contributed, asking them what they think, those kind of things people do notice and you can then see that I've seen it time and time again when I've spent time with people who do those sorts of things. It then encourages other people to do more of that um, and to act a bit more as a team. And then I guess our last one was about teams not having a collective purpose, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, which I which I've kind of got onto um, in when I, when I was talking about my my example of that team um, that wasn't I, I nearly said the name the team <laughs> in Company X that uh, that wasn't kind of working. I really like that point you made by the way about collective role modelling. I think that's really interesting. Like what what behaviours positively and negatively are a team collectively role modelling? Mm. Mm, that is something for me to take away. So shall I do some top tips then for people? Go for it. Um, so top tips then, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this, but to be really explicit, some things that we think that you can go away from this podcast and do differently. The first is invest time in building and contributing to part of being an effective team. This doesn't happen by accident. Actually, you've got to be looking at how the team is working, reflecting on that, maybe testing a few new things, doing that observer role we've mentioned. We've, we've gone through quite a lot of ideas in this podcast, but just being really conscious about how a team functions and where you want it to be and what might need to change to get there is really, really important. And you can do that. You can have that discussion as a team, but then people can take on some individual responsibility for following that but super super important so that's tip one tip two is to assess how effective your current team is and there are lots of different tools that you can use for that we're going to talk about a team profile role assessment when we go through our resources but I think there are different tools that you can use to assess your current team you know have you got a team of 10 people and you've all got the same kind of team profile maybe you're all some people have done like an insights or a discovery wheel where you get different colors a lot of people seem that seems to stick with people but for people that know what I'm talking about maybe you've got a whole team of red people what does that mean for how you're coming across with your stakeholders what does that mean for how you're connecting with each other because maybe you're operating as 10 very driven individuals rather than um, a supportive team or a particularly analytical team you'll know what I'm talking about if you've done the color wheel (laughs) before (laughs) so it sounds like it's like interior decoration 
Yeah, yeah, interior team decoration. Uh, so that's that second one. Whatever tool you use, find a way to assess how your uh, effective your current team is, and that gives you some specificity on the gaps that you might want to address. Um, and the last thing I think can be quite interesting is to take some inspiration from other teams outside of your context. So, you know, I've mocked Sarah a little bit for all of her sporting references, but I do think there's a lot you can learn from how sports teams come together, particularly around like events like the Olympics. And you'll find that the coaches, they'll, they'll have done some press interviews where they'll be sharing, this is how I brought the team together or even like military scenarios or just other organizations in different countries there you can often learn a lot from how teams come together and I think more so in high profile situations even like how political um, teams come together to get someone elected there's just some insights that you can take and you can think oh what would happen if our team operated like that it's actually something that I do when I work for uh, a brand so if I work for Microsoft I will look at other brands and I'll say oh what would happen if we were a bit more like x brand or we, we borrowed some of those characteristics from that brand what would that mean for us because it's just a way of changing someone's perspective on how something else works and in this context it's the team and often i think it's really interesting to look at teams that have maybe outperformed either maybe against the odds or that you maybe hadn't expected to do quite so well like what what was it what were they doing like the netball team sarah the underdogs Exactly. <laughs> Do you want me to start taking you to some sporting events? No, it's really, fine. Is, it's fine. Is that really uh, what you're telling me? No, that memory will stay with me forever. That's enough. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and actually, if you do like a sporting analogy, there is a book called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Um, and this is about that. the guys that won a gold medal for rowing and they, they were definitely the underdogs. And actually, if you listen to the commentary, one of the guys, Ben, who, who was in the boat and the commentary of the race, you can tell from the commentators they don't expect them to win. Because, you know, they hadn't had a track record of necessarily always winning previously. And they really changed and adapted their approach. And they were so single minded in terms of every single decision they made as a team. They kept just asking themselves the question, will this make the boat go faster? I absolutely love it. I think it's really it's a really kind of smart strategy. And it just really helped them in terms of how they spent their time, how they, you know, how they spent their money, how they dedicated all their resources. So um, if you do like a sports book, that's one. If you want other recommendations, <laughs> ask me on Twitter or Instagram, because I can talk about lots of interesting <laughs> golf, rugby biographies, programmes to watch. Um, but moving on, moving on yeah, to sure. other resources. <laughs> Go on, you found else? a really good one. What, the one that you told me about, the New York uh, yeah. Times one. Yeah, this one. I just, I'd never, I've not seen it before so on the new york times they have a section and it's a section really about leadership the world of work generally so actually there is a plethora of really good articles and they're all quite they're more sort of opinion pieces or editorial pieces so they're longer form more detailed and there's a great one on how to build the perfect team which will include as part of the resources i think we've mentioned some of it before but it's some of it is based on the google work they did on something called project aristotle which was basically trying to diagnose the perfect team. And it's it's useful because it also addresses some of the myths about perfect teams and, you know, you just need brilliantly smart people or actually it's quite hard to find correlations between brilliant teams. So generally that New York Times, I was like, wow, there's just so much good stuff there. You know, even just stuff like why everyone should take a lunch break. So some just fun, straightforward things through to and it's some called quite detailed what articles. Google- what Google learned from its quest to build the perfect team. Yeah. We will share the link, but just in yeah, case you want to get searching straight away, uh, what Google learned to share. Google learned from its <laughs> quest to build the perfect team. It's a long title. Um, and I've got one as well. I mentioned it earlier about team roles theory. If you want to use something to assess um, your current team, what the profile looks like, this is on 123test.com and it will give you, you complete it, it's quite quick. It's uh, maybe about 30 questions and, and you just have to pick from a pair each time. Um, and it will give you your profile and then you can compare that with everybody else's on the team to see how many of you've got the same profile so for example i came out as my number one uh it won't be a surprise to sarah my number one um in the profile thing was that i'm an explorer followed by a driver and a chairman uh, and then the the one that i was lowest on was a completer so um yeah i got three three points of being a completer but never mind out of what 100 i don't actually know my top score was 19 so there's obviously that's the oh, right. that's the distance between between them but it it, it was low and unsurprisingly I think but we will as ever when we the podcast goes live it goes live every Tuesday so you can go to LinkedIn or Twitter or you can find us on Instagram where we're amazing if at Instagram you can just search for us any of those places and when I post the uh the detail on the podcast I'll always put in the comments all of the links to everything we talk about and resources for you to go and explore some more of this stuff 
So next week, we are going to be talking about how to get promoted. And this has come from um, a couple of people that have asked us to look at this. So we'll talk about Sarah and I's experience. And we're also going to go and gather some information from our network about some of their stories about how they got promoted and what they think has been really useful. So hopefully that should be a really actionable thing for you to look at. And I think if you're going to get promoted, this is not like I want to get promoted next week. Some of this stuff takes a bit longer. So maybe even if you're not thinking about wanting to be promoted now, I think it's good to know the activities that you can start to work on to be sort of part of that journey for promotion so that's next week we are also going to do in july um another q a podcast we did one of these back in was it may May. or june may may um and this is just where we get some different different questions that maybe aren't big enough for our whole episode um but we we want to answer because we you know we take we take our community very seriously and all of your suggestions so we'll gather those up so you can either email those to us at getintouchamazingif.com you can put them to us in all those different social media places or what someone has done recently on the wonder of our on itunes on the podcast review i will read it to you really quickly they said um this is from william ph dyer and he has said in our podcast review five stars thanks william uh recommended this podcast so many times to workmates this podcast will help you put in place ways to structure conversations that are effective and fruitful which is nice and then he said p.s if you could do an episode on managing upwards and managing stakeholders that would be very useful so that will be one for example that william's put forward that we will put into that um q a that we're going to do yeah. in july so if you've I've got any more that. Oh, oh, if, if, if he's still if you're still listening <laughs> thank you thank you i'm saying i think he is i think i see him on instagram as well so um yeah you can put those um we obviously we love it when they come with five star reviews but you can put those questions anywhere you want to and we'll uh pull those all together for that july session um and i think that is it for now i've told you where to get in touch with us um we've done a bit of a plug to get some uh, ratings and reviews which helps us on itunes thank you very much uh and yeah you can find us in all those places and we'll be back with you next week thanks very much for listening everyone see you soon bye bye Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.